0: From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats.
1: There are so many of those hot sauces out there that are kind of gimmicky, and it's all about the heat, and I, you know, those, those are nothing to me. You gotta get that good balance of flavor.
0: This week on the show, we join hot sauce aficionado Christopher Burris, making a Puerto Rican-style hot sauce called pique. And then later, we sample the hottest known chili pepper, the Carolina Reaper, Josephine McRobbie talks with a scientist at the Wild Sourdough Project about harnessing the power of home bakers and their starters. That's all coming up in the next hour here on Earth Eats, after this.
2: Earth Eats is produced from the campus of Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. We wish to acknowledge and honor the Miami Delaware, Potawatomi, and Shawnee people, on whose ancestral homelands and resources Indiana University was built.
0: And now to Renee Reed for Earth Eats News. Hi, Renee. Hi, Kate. I have some bad news about Earth Eats News. Oh, no, what's that? This is Chad Bouchard's last week reporting for Earth Eats. Oh, that
2: is bad news.
0: Thank you, Chad, for your dedication to bringing us food and farming news all these years.
2: We will miss you. Yes, we will. Here's Chad's final report. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is in charge of making sure that state programs it funds do not discriminate based on race, color, or national origin. But a new report from the agency's own Office of the Inspector General highlights what was already long known. State environmental agencies do not protect citizens from discrimination, and the EPA does not hold them to account. Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits the use of EPA funding for agencies or programs that discriminate, but most state agencies fall far short of the effort needed to prevent environmental discrimination, which includes violations such as allowing polluting facilities to set up shop in predominantly black communities. Notoriously toxic hog farm feeding operations called CAFOs are among the kind of agricultural polluters found in areas with residents who are disproportionately black, indigenous, and people of color. A 2002 study found that in North Carolina, one of the country's top pork-producing states, swine CAFOs are located disproportionately in low-income and African-American communities. A Duke University study in 2016 found that CAFOs are a breeding ground and magnifier for virus outbreaks, such as seasonal flus, that often jump to nearby populations. The EPA has not ruled any CAFO complaints to be cases of discrimination. The recent Inspector General report found that 43 states lacked at least one crucial element on the EPA's list of non-discrimination criteria. The EPA responded by saying the report did not include improvements the agency has made over the last three years, including a new strategic plan, faster response to complaints, and more training. The agency's past shortcomings on enforcement of the discrimination law have been well documented. In 2015, the watchdog group Center for Public Integrity reported that the EPA had dismissed 95 percent of all complaints since 1996, with 162 cases rejected. To date, the agency has only ruled once that discrimination took place. That case involved Michigan's environmental agency's hearings about a wood-burning facility built in a majority black neighborhood in Flint. The complaints said hearings were held 65 miles from the affected neighborhood, were guarded with armed personnel, and prioritized white over black commenters. The incident took the EPA 25 years to investigate and rule. In August of this year, a black EPA employee filed a lawsuit in California alleging discrimination, retaliation, and a hostile work environment. Meanwhile, In September, the EPA postponed training on environmental discrimination against communities of color and low-income communities after a White House order calling for agencies to stop training involving what is described as anti-American propaganda. The Trump administration has made several moves that racial justice advocates say harm communities of color, including a rollback of rules that once required environmental impact reports to analyze how pollution from construction projects would combine with other pollutants in a surrounding community. Find Chad Bouchard's full story at EarthEats.org. For EarthEats News, I'm Renee Reed. This is Kate
0: Young. I'm here with Chris Christopher Burris, do you prefer to go by Christopher?
1: I, I go by either one. Okay, you're, you're not like offended <laughs> no, by one No, whatever's more efficient at the time or whatever.
0: <laughs> That's Chris Burris for you. He's a pretty easygoing guy, and he likes hot peppers a lot. That's why this summer, when a farmer handed me a Carolina Reaper pepper, I wanted to ask Chris to try it with me. Carolina Reapers belong to a class of peppers known as the superhots. And they are currently listed as the hottest pepper available, testing at around 2 million Scoville units, which is how the hotness of a chili pepper is generally measured. But before I get too far into the Reaper testing, I want to take you back to last fall. You may recall a story with Christopher Burris learning how to make pique. It's a Puerto Rican-style vinegar-based hot sauce. We'll start there.
1: My name is Christopher Burris. I'm an employee of WFIU and a lover of hot sauce.
0: The word amateur has its roots in the French word for love. An amateur does something not for pay, but because they enjoy doing it. Christopher Burris is an amateur hot sauce maker. In fact, you might say he's a novice.
1: I'm going on my first journey today of starting to make my own hot sauce. And I'm starting with a kind of hot sauce called pique, which is a really simple hot sauce to make that comes from Puerto Rico. And at its most basic form, it's infusing vinegar with chilies. It's really the kind of hot sauce that is homemade that you mostly see on the table and in people's kitchens and everybody has their own version of it. And so that's what I wanted to start with because it's so simple and there's a lot of different things you can do.
0: Wait, so you say you're seeing it on, on everybody's table. I never see it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess hot sauce lovers' tables, yeah. I did. I do have a kind of a story that I know that my great-grandfather loved Piquet, and uh, when I told my mom that I was going to make this stuff, she was like, oh, yeah, you know, he used to have a bottle of that stuff all the time. He took it around with him everywhere, put it on everything, and so kind of continuing a little bit of a family tradition here as well.
0: <laughs> all right, so what are we starting with in terms of the chilies?
1: Sure, so I'm going to make two different kinds of pique. The first one and the one I'm honestly looking forward to the most uses habaneros. I love the habanero pepper. It's my favorite pepper. I love the flavor of it. I love the heat level of it. I love the color of it. Just everything about it. And so the most traditional pique that I'm going to make, which is white vinegar with some herbs and then the habaneros, that's going to be my first one. And the second one is going to be a little bit more of a mystery. I'm going to do a sherry based one instead of white vinegar. And then I'm using some ahi chilies because they have a great fruity flavor. The ahi chilies are kind of long. They're about between three inches and four inches. They're red and orange, a couple green ones and yellow ones. They have a little bit of a, of, of a wrinkly texture. They, they get used in a lot of piques is because they're really easy to shove down the neck of a bottle. You know, you don't have to prepare them that much. <laughs> I think I'm gonna get some good heat with, uh, I only have two ghost peppers in here as well. And then these kind of milder ones, I think, will add a lot more of that that fruity flavor I'm looking for. I, I knew that this was going to come down to the flavor of the peppers more than anything else, and so I wanted to try to source something good.
0: Christopher doesn't have a garden of his own, but he wanted something fresh and homegrown. So he headed to the farmer's market one Saturday morning in October.
1: I had a really fun morning just going around to all these different vendors, and talking to them about their peppers and about... uh, It's not just heat level. It's like, you know, fruity-tasting peppers versus grassy-tasting peppers and whether or not you prefer one over the other. And so I got a mixture here. You know, the uh, habaneros have a little bit more of that grassiness. There's a little fruitiness there as well, but these these ahi are are definitely on the fruity side of things. And so it was really fun just to kind of go around and, you know, treat peppers in the same way that you talk about wines.
0: (laughs) Since it's not cooked... You can make pique directly in the bottle that you plan to serve it in.
1: It becomes kind of a table piece. You have it on your table, and when people talk about making pique, they often—it's interesting—they also talk about the visual component of it. That you want to make sure you get a lot of different colored chilies, so that you know when people look at the pique, they—they they like how you know they like the way it looks. They see how vibrant the colors are. So there's a taste aspect to it as well as a visual component. I like that about it too.
0: Christopher is using 1-liter flip-top spring seal glass bottles with airtight stoppers.
1: And so we need to prepare the spice mixture that we're going to use first. I've got about 9 to 10 cloves of garlic here, and um, I've got to get these peeled. You ever seen this the two-bowl method for peeling garlic?
0: Yeah, let's see it. What's what's it involved?
1: Yeah, so you take two same-size mixing bowls, like like good metal bowls, It's just classic and then uh, put all your your garlic in it, and then you're gonna put the two bowls on top of each other so that the garlic is fully enclosed. And then you're just gonna shake it up and down for about 20 seconds. So I'll do that. (laughs) Okay. How'd it work? Uh, you know, it did okay. Wow, you can really smell it. It, really, it definitely activated the garlic uh, pretty, pretty good.
0: Yeah, that's a really good method. If you have a lot to do, it will really save you some time.
1: <laughs> and if nobody in your place is trying to take a nap or anything, too, it's probably... Okay, now it's time to prepare the peppers. So we got to get these softened so that they just kind of start releasing their flavor. So we're going to boil up some water and get these going, and then we'll chop them up. While we're waiting for the water to boil, we can actually start chopping up our chilies. And I know you have to be very careful when you do this. I'm not really big on using gloves. A lot of people suggest that. I tend to feel like I'm, it's easy to cut your fingers with gloves, so I've just got some tongs and things. And I'm just going to try to be as careful as I can. I can already tell I'm getting this all over my fingers. I knew that this is going to be a little bit of an adventure because I've never done this before, and so I'm sure I'm going to make some kind of uh, stupid mistake that your listeners are going to be... <laughs> <laughs> laughing at me while I'm doing this. <laughs> I was kind of hoping to try to keep as much of the seeds in. I know because I, I like that heat, but I also know that the uh, the ribs of the pepper are where a lot of the, the heat is as well. So that's all staying in there. So we're gonna put these in the boiling water for about two minutes just to get them soft and then they'll go into the bottle.
0: Oh, that hot water robbed them of their color.
1: Oh, <laughs> hey, you're right it did. Oh man. <laughs> Some people don't do this. Some people just put them straight in. They don't do this, the boiling part here first or anything. But I under, under, wow, that is, (laughs) that is, uh, that is, (laughs) we're all coughing. (laughs) I am having second thoughts about putting these ghost peppers in it as well.
0: (laughs) The ghost pepper is one of the most well-known of the super hot peppers. It's no longer the hottest pepper. I believe the Carolina Reaper holds that title at the moment. But things change. There's a scale for measuring the heat of a pepper. It's called the Scoville scale, named after its inventor, pharmacist Wilbur Scoville. An SHU is a Scoville heat unit, which is a way of quantifying how spicy a pepper is by measuring the concentration of capsaicinoids. Capsaicin is the chemical that makes the chili pepper taste hot in your mouth. The ghost pepper clocks in at about 1 million SHU. For comparison, a jalapeno tops out at 10,000 SHU. The hottest of the hot these days measures around 2 million SHU.
1: These ones are yellow with a this one especially looks really good. It's yellow and it has this you know this gradual greening on it. But you know the, the most definable feature of a ghost pepper is their really wrinkly skin. We're going to strain these now.
0: Christopher is removing the peppers that he softened in the boiling water.
1: So that's it for the habaneros are strained. We're going to strain.
0: Hey, they kind of brightened back yeah, up a yeah, little bit. They did. That's interesting. They
1: still look good. They'll still look good in the bottle, I think. Right. Sure. I'm going to wash my hands again with <laughs> the salt.
0: So I need to step in to warn you about handling super hot peppers like ghost peppers. Even the habaneros can give you a painful burn. So do your best to keep the insides of the peppers away from your skin and wash your hands frequently with either an oil-cutting soap like Dawn or with some salt to scrub off the oil from the pepper before it settles in. If you do experience a burning sensation, usually this happens a little bit later, try applying a dairy product like (laughs) plain yogurt or sour cream. It's the only thing that's ever helped me.
1: Put these in, these long skinny peppers that I'm just going to be able to slide right into the bottles. I think I just have to make a little slit in them so that the vinegar can get in and start extracting all that good flavor, but I'm not going to have to really do anything else to them, so that's nice.
3: <laughs>
0: the air in the kitchen is starting to feel a bit toxic.
1: Clean out your sinuses. <laughs> so now we can start getting our, uh, our vinegar prepared. And the vinegar, you actually want to heat a little bit as well. Again, this is an optional step. I'm just going to go ahead and do it just because I... I think it makes sense that it, you know, the heat would kind of allow the ingredients to start activating. So I've got white distilled vinegar and we're just gonna warm it a little bit, not enough to boiling. While we're doing that, we'll go ahead and kind of pour our spices into the bottles. For this recipe, I kind of have an idea of this one being ready around the holidays. And so having it being kind of like a a sauce for some foods that you might have around the Christmas or Thanksgiving and so turkey and ham and, and those kinds of flavors and, and so I thought about adding some clove because I, I have seen a couple PKs that have clove in them. I know you have to be pretty careful with the am- amount of clove that you put into something because it's a pretty strong spice. Cove. Sherry goes in next. I'm not using a particularly nice sherry. It's not cooking sherry but it's a pretty inexpensive one because <laughs> Stuffing a bunch of peppers in it. So yeah.
0: <laughs> So the sherry one is done. He's got that. the peppers, a few cloves in there, and then he's topped it off with sherry. For the habanero one, he's added garlic.
1: I've got some thyme here that I also thought I would add. I really like the flavor of thyme. I think that'll also look really good in the bottle. Afterwards.
0: Yeah, it's very attractive.
1: <laughs> Vinegar and our sherry are both bottled. We've got all the spices we're gonna put in, except I did almost forget black pepper, black and white peppercorn. Another one of my absolute favorite spices. I know it's simple, but I'm one of those people that you can never have enough pepper on, <laughs> on anything. And this is another one that I'm just gonna to add to the vinegar. I'm not gonna add any of it to the sherry.
0: That looks really good. Yeah, it does.
1: <laughs> Boy, I I, I love the color of this already. You know, you've got the black peppercorns, and then it's, you know, and the orange habaneros. It just looks really good.
0: That thyme, the green.
1: It's like a little little hot pepper terrarium.
0: (laughs) I love the purity of the habanero, too. I Mm -hmm. think you're going to like that flavor-wise, but Mm -hmm. it also looks really good to just have the one color.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really happy with this so far. Give it a couple flips to start, and then you're good to go. So now this just sits out in the sun.
0: I like that you have two what are probably going to be completely different products.
1: Exactly, right, yeah. I mean, there's no sweetness really to this habanero one at all. And I think the cloves in the... Uh, the cherry clove PK. It'll be better on things like I'm hoping turkey and ham and mashed potatoes or whatever, any kind of Thanksgiving related. I put hot sauce on everything. I'm always thinking about that. So <laughs> that's my plan with these.
0: Could you talk a little bit about your relationship with vinegared things and hot things? Sure.
1: I have always loved those tastes, like the taste, like that tangy vinegar taste and then hot sauces. And, uh, ever since like elementary school, I loved it. And uh, actually when I was in elementary school, you know, it's that age where you're trying to still trying to figure out your personality and so you're defining yourself by like your interests in a really extroverted way. And since I knew I loved hot sauce so much and so I was like a Tabasco sauce poster child. I just bought or rather was gifted all of their products. I had a friend whose dad worked for the Tabasco Indy 500 car racing team and so one one birthday, he gave me just like all of this Tabasco promotional stuff. So I had like baseball cap, I had shirts, just all sorts of Tabasco stuff. I even had this, it was like a little camo belt holder, so you could just like have your Tabasco bottle on your belt. And I used to wear it to school.
0: <laughs> With the Tabasco? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, because I was ready to go. You know, the minute I'd have some food, got to put that put, put that hot sauce on it. And then, you know, when you're that age too... It's all about like, well, you know, how much how much Tabasco can you eat? Like how hot can you go? And as I got older I really started to appreciate hot sauces that were a balance of heat and flavor and that's what's ended up being the most important to me. You know, those there are so many of those hot sauces out there that are are kinda gimmicky and it's all about the heat. Those are nothing to me. It's just like you gotta get that good balance of flavor, which is why when I decided that I was finally gonna start making my own, I was really concerned about internalizing the differences between different kinds of peppers and their flavors.
0: Uh, well, thank you. And I'm excited to check back in with you. What'd you say, two weeks?
1: I'll probably check in two weeks and see how they're doing, yeah.
0: After a quick break, we'll find out if Christopher's hot sauce met his high standards of flavor and heat balance. Earth Eats, I'm Kate Young back with Christopher Burris to give that hot sauce a taste.
1: So I've got four bottles here of the piques. Two of them are first infusions and two of them are second ones. About a week after I made it, I I was sampling it and I kind of decided that the garlic was where I wanted it to be. I really didn't want to get it any stronger and I wanted to try to bring out the habanero a little bit more. We'll do the habanero garlic first. You should just give it a, a whiff because
0: yeah, that has a really strong garlic. Yeah, yep. I'm really tasting the other herbs, too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, mostly thyme and peppercorn.
0: The vinegar really hits you pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. Once it gets to the back of your throat, it's exactly. pretty like, woo. But it's, the heat is not killing me. Mm-hmm. It feels kind of, and it feels like the vinegar's mellowed a little bit over time. It's not quite as, like, straight out of the bottle vinegar. Uh-huh.
1: This is infusion one of the sherry. It's sherry ahi chili. And a little clove.
0: Smells mm. totally different. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so it starts out sherry. Yeah. Then it goes clove, and then it goes ghost, heat. Ghost pepper. Ghost yeah. pepper.
1: <laughs> 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 that one.
0: <laughs> That's incredible. That one has
1: ended up being my favorite. It is. It's. Com- I was completely unexpected, blown away by what it tasted like in the end. I I love it personally. I think it's really interesting.
0: I've never tasted anything like it, mm-hmm. and yeah, that that heat is pure.
1: Okay, let's do the infu- the, the second infusions okay. here because they're a little different. Okay, so num- this is the habanero, the second infusion habanero. You can already see the difference; it's pre- it's a little lighter.
0: I think you accomplish your goal.
1: Yeah,
0: the garlic is definitely diminished, and you're getting that fruity. Yep habanero thing going on yeah
1: that's why i I like this one more i mean the other one is good it's just it's a different sauce yeah this is the this is habanero the other one's garlic but how
0: (laughs) incredible to get two sauces out of one bottle yeah exactly it's the same (laughs) bottle
1: that we started with but uh
0: this is the sherry second infusion yeah it's still working
1: yeah that one it's softer yeah just a little softer and, the re, you know, the reason that I decided to give a second infusion to that one, too, is because the heat level on the first one, I thought, sat right. I didn't want it to go any anymore. <laughs> I thought it was getting to the point it where it was could a little. it would go anymore. Yeah, a, a ghost pepper is a scary thing. <laughs> you just never know how far it's going to go.
0: Don't worry. You don't have to put ghost peppers in your pique. Make it how you like it. And if you need instructions or ideas for what to do with your pique, we have them at eartheats.org. Kate Young here, this is Earth Eats. The story we just heard about Chris Burris and his pique hot sauce was from last fall. This summer, I got in touch with him again for another hot pepper matter. So what we're going to do today is we have a Carolina Reaper Reaper pepper. And what do you know about the Carolina Reaper?
1: I know that it's the Guinness World Book of Records official hottest pepper in the world. With hot peppers and hot sauces, we talk a lot about Scoville units. And I know that the Carolina Reaper is supposed to be something like 2 million, which is a number that I just can't really even conceive of. I don't know what that really means.
0: Currently right now I think it is the hottest pepper on the scale. The next level is like pepper spray. Yeah. (laughs) So so I think that um, it it is one of the hottest ones but what we're going to do today is we're going to work our way up. So we're going to start with a really mild sweet pepper which is just a banana pepper and then what I've done is just kind of mix it in with some salsa but we could also taste it on its own. Mm -hmm. So I was going to do a banana pepper and anaheim pepper and then i got a habanero from my garden Uh and then we're gonna just kind of work our way up to the carolina reaper in terms of heat and we are in my backyard we're well over six feet apart and uh we have separate bowls and everything, so we're trying to do this in a in a COVID-safe way, right. um, but not so much safe for our ta- taste buds. I don't well, know.
1: <laughs> I also kind of think that giving the Carolina Reaper a little a little social distance anyway seems like a good idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is just the banana pepper. The banana pepper. I feel like I tasted more chip than, than pepper. Than pepper.
1: <laughs> yeah, to me, I mean, to me, that is, you know, that's that grassiness. It's kind of. Oh yeah. That it's that. It's like the standard grassy taste there with the banana pepper. You know, a little heat, but I—that's I, I, what I taste at least.
0: Next in line was an Anaheim pepper, or what I think was an Anaheim pepper. It's a green chili. There's—I'm not getting the heat at all. Like this so is this is the kind that you could put into salsa that you're giving to kids, <laughs> and they're going to taste peppers a little bit, but yeah. they're not going to burn their mouths. Sure. Would you call this on the grassy or fruity?
1: This is, still, this is still grassy to me a little bit, I think. The salsa that you made too, Kate, is really excellent. <laughs> fresh salsa here in your backyard. The sun is shining. The salsa is fresh. I mean, we're in a pandemic, but this is, this is pretty nice.
0: <laughs> well, I think that this salsa is working pretty well as a base, which is what I intended. So yeah, our next one is a habanero. And again, this is definitely harvested on the early side. The peppers are fully formed, but they're not turning color yet. So this is a green habanero. It should be a little bit hotter.
1: Yeah. Uh, A a habanero versus an Anaheim. Yeah, I think it'll be a little (laughs) bit hotter.
0: (laughs) And I didn't remove the seeds from any of these peppers. I just chopped them up.
1: And it's interesting with the habanero too, because I feel like that the heat hits you faster. I think it just... It's it kind of, it, you know, there are some peppers where uh, it can take a little while for it to kind of come on for the heat. The habanero is right there. Of course, I may have gotten a, a seed in my bite here or something like that.
0: Yeah, because I didn't get any heat in my bite. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I have a little, I've cut off a little piece of the pepper here, and I made sure that I got a little bit of the, the rib material mm-hmm. in it.
0: I wonder if it's because it's not ripe but I'm really for some reason I am not getting heat
1: so I got I got a little bit more there I took a, a pretty large chunk of it and yeah that's interesting that's interesting how much of a difference there is when you're eating one that's on the ripe side that the you know that that is probably as mild as the Anaheim
0: I hope I didn't accidentally plant those heatless habaneros. <laughs> I'm going to be uh, having ha- I'm going to be having a discussion with a farmer if that happens. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm getting it now.
1: Yeah. It, it's I it's still mild for a habanero though. No,
0: I'm getting it now. I think it's just it's because it's not ripe yet. Mm-hmm. It hasn't reached its
1: Yeah. And, and I but for me it's also the flavor of the habanero. I just love the flavor. I do
0: love the flavor. I yeah. love the smell and the aroma and the flavor is is great on the habanero that's why i always like to grow them and make salsa out of them
1: yeah i think i've said before i have no qualms about saying that it's the best it is the best of the of the peppers in my opinion i just think it great balance of flavor and heat when they're ripe i think the color is very attractive it's Mm -hmm. just a great pepper
0: yeah they're really good looking
1: Mm -hmm. they grow they grow well in indiana you know
0: so are we ready (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> for the for the Carolina Reaper? Yep. Okay.
0: Well, this Carolina Reaper came from Sharana Moore out at Lawrence Community Gardens in, up in Indy. And I think we should be careful handling this one too because I think it can burn your hands. She was saying that even just being out in the field harvesting them, she was coughing. Wow. I'm gonna have my uh, water ready. Okay. And I also have some plain yogurt. Yeah,
1: I, that's what I was just about to mention. For anybody who's who's trying hot peppers, Having something that has some fat in it, like a dairy product of some kind, some milk or some bread and butter or some yogurt is a really good thing because capsaicin is fat soluble. So sometimes when you you drink water, it can seem refreshing, but what it's actually doing is just spreading the capsaicin around in your mouth even more. And it can, some peppers, it can make it worse. <laughs> I, I got to just say, I got a little bit on my arm and it is burning my arm. I'm not kidding. It is burning my arm a little bit. <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm 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 nervous now. Okay, here we go. Uh, um, I'm not tasting.
1: Yeah, I think I need a little bit more. I'm not really getting anything.
0: How can that be?
1: Okay, I've cut myself a little bit more of this pepper with rib and seed. And you're just gonna eat it plain? I'm and gonna to try. Chip. This is what. Some might consider it to be an, an like idiotic amount of this pepper, but maybe not, so that pepper has absolutely no heat. <laughs> <laughs> I did get a little bit of irritation, as I said, on my arm when a little bit, some fell out, but th- that what piece the piece that I just had is not not a hot that is not a hot pepper. <laughs>
0: She must have been mistaken. She must have just grabbed me the wrong one. (laughs) Oh, man. Underwhelming.
1: (laughs) It's just so funny because, you know, we're sitting at this table and there's there's water, there's yogurt. I brought, like, an iced coffee because I knew it had fat in it. There's sparkling water. We're totally ready for (laughs) this
0: intense experience. And it's like, hmm, not tasting much
3: there.
1: (laughs) Oh, uh, that's so funny. I wonder if the ripeness or lack thereof has anything to do with it. Do you th- I wonder if it's a pepper that heats up really late. I, d- I just don't I know. Mean,
0: I wonder too, and I would like to research that a little bit because I do know that my habaneros are usually much hotter than this one. And this uh-huh. is an under habanero for sure. Well, Chris, I wanna thank you for coming and trying this uh, uneventful chili pepper <laughs> with me.
1: I mean, I'm I'm never gonna turn down an opportunity to just sit in the back garden, as I said, and. And enjoy some peppers and the flavor is still good. I mean there's not all it's not all a disappointment to be sure. The salsa is excellent.
0: I will definitely be on the lookout this summer to see if I can get a hold of one and have you come back and we'll try it again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean I think it it kinda of lifts up the, the intrigue of it even more. It's it's kind of slipped through our fingers this one time, but maybe next time and then and then it'll just be all this regret. It's like why did we pursue this pepper when it's burning a hole through our stomachs
0: (laughs) exactly all right well thank you chris and let's just uh dig into the rest
1: of this salsa That sounds good
0: it was disappointing but i set my sights on finding a carolina reaper before summer's end i reached out to susan wellsand also known as the chili woman to see if she could hook me up we'll get back to our quest to taste the carolina reaper later on in the show Scientists are getting ordinary people to help them understand, for the first time, what's up with the microbes that give each sourdough starter its special funk. Producer Josephine McRobbie gets an update from the Wild Sourdough Project.
4: Microbial ecologist Erin McKenney isn't afraid to tackle controversial research questions.
5: Uh, and this is the question on the minds of, of every San Franciscan, right? Um, is San Francisco sourdough starter reproducible anywhere in the world, or is it truly like just in that region?
4: She and her colleagues at North Carolina State University have studied the science of sourdough bread for around four years. They say we know less about the microorganisms in our foods than we do about the creatures living in the deepest parts of the sea.
5: One of the overarching themes that we found in all of this work with sourdough is that for every question that we think that we're getting toward an answer, it's like a hydra, right? Like nine or 15 other questions pop up.
4: A starter begins with flour and water. As you gradually refresh and stir your starter, it ferments, becoming inhabited by yeast and bacteria.
5: Bakers all over the world know that at 10 to 14 days old, after you've been growing your starter from scratch, by 10 to 14 days, it has developed from glorified paper mache paste to something that's bubbly and alive and that will leaven your bread, right? It, It won't make a rock cake. But nobody's ever really looked at, you know, is it really 10 days or do you have to wait a full 14 days? And what exactly are you waiting for?
4: A recent project, Global Sourdough, worked with citizen scientists around the world to analyze the starters that people already had in their homes to see what role geography plays in composition. For instance, it's commonly said that the fog and temperature in the Bay Area has a noticeable effect on local loaves. But Dr. McKenney says that they found no golden fingerprint of the yeasts in San Francisco starts. Um, and I think That that has to do with, you know,
5: each person managing their sourdough starter separately. And we we don't really live in our outdoor environments that might drive the distribution of those yeasts or or of those fungus, right? We live in these glorious caves that we've built ourselves. (laughs) So we actually appear to have domesticated or surrounded ourselves with specific different bacterial and yeast species than we might find just outside our front doors.
4: People around the world have starters that they've been cultivating for years. So the Global Sourdough Project was working with a data set that had a lot of uncontrolled variables. In April of this year, during the onset of COVID in the U.S., the team decided to start fresh.
5: We saw the entire world started growing starters and making sourdough bread once we were all at home. Um, And we thought this could be a marvelous opportunity one to engage folks who are already like playing with bread um to also gather some data or take pictures of their starter and who doesn't love doing that anyway but if we can leverage that information for scientific knowledge that's an incredible opportunity and and two it gives us an opportunity to ask some questions and begin to address some of the questions that got opened up the last time we tried to study a different aspect of sourdough.
4: The Wild Sourdough Project invites participants to begin a sourdough starter and to track how quickly it grows over 10 days. They also note the location, the flower brand, and if they use tap or bottled water. And they document the scent of the starter. How do you quantify smell? The project provides an aroma wheel. It's based on research conducted in a Danish lab. Do I get like grass? Is
5: it fresh grass? Is it fermented grass? Do I get fruits? What types of fruits does it smell like? Am I getting grain? What types of grain? Or is it more like porridge? Or is it like a toasty grain? Um, And they then grouped
4: all those different smells into super categories. So far, over 1,700 people have made starters, each doing their part to contribute to the creation of knowledge. When I'm developing citizen science projects, I'm considering them partners.
5: um, And I get really, really excited about sharing the story and about hopefully empowering anyone in the world to do science and, and to not need a fancy lab or a degree or, you know, to to have taken that class.
4: The team is doing a kind of slow science with wild sourdough. It's allowing the submissions to ferment into the fall without an official end date for the study. McKenny draws all kinds of connections between this kind of research and baking itself. Baking was really
5: intimidating to me for a long time. And there is a fair bit of chemistry to it, right? I mean, that's what underlies the transformation of a bread dough into a loaf. But... I think as I have learned um, to trust myself and to trust the microbes, right? It, it's been humbling as a microbial ecologist to go from, you know, I will extract your DNA in the lab and I will, you know, analyze um, the DNA sequencing data with bioinformatic analysis um, and writing code and, and being very specific and very exact. Going from that to a working practice of now just trusting these organisms that I've studied and admired for so long to do what they do (laughs) you know what do bacteria need they need food they need water they need warmth they need space right um so if you give them time and you give them food you just you just wait and they'll do their thing it turns out because everything that we've studied about them we've learned because it is true it is what they do
0: That story comes to us from producer Josephine McRobbie. This spring, I participated in the Wild Sourdough Project from my kitchen and submitted my data to their Citizen Science website. Their instructions are simple and straightforward, and I ended up with a strong new sourdough starter. Find out more on our website, eartheats.org. And now, back to my quest with Christopher Burris, for a taste of the infamous Carolina Reaper pepper. After our July pepper tasting session ended in a zero on the Scoville scale, I asked Susan Wellsand if she was growing any of the superhots. She's known as the chili woman, and she sells many varieties of pepper plants, ships them all over the country, and she sells the chilies themselves from the plants she raises in her own chili field. Susan isn't a fan of the super hot trend. She values flavor over extreme heat.
3: To me, they've crossed a line from being a food source to being a chemical. And when you cut open a habanero, there's that wonderful aroma, and mm, you just kind of breathe it in. And when I cut open these super hot peppers, like a ghost pepper, scorpion, or a reaper, I get a chemical smell. I grow some because people do want them, and I sell the plants in the spring, and they're really popular.
0: When I contacted her in July, she told me she should have some reapers ready in the fall. In late August, I got a message that she had some groundhog troubles, and the reaper plants were damaged. She hoped to salvage some peppers, and she would let me know. Farming is always unpredictable. And this year seemed to be the year of animal trouble out at Susan's farm. A hawk got to several of their
3: chickens. We've trapped raccoons, we've trapped groundhogs, we trapped the white skunk the other day. And I went to pick in the chili field and uh, the electric fence had gone off and the deer had done a lot of damage in there. and when I went out to see the damage, I realized there was a lot of down-below damage, too, and it was from a groundhog. And we have electric fence around there, and we have chicken wire wrapped around the sides of the fence to keep rabbits and stuff out. So we figured something was digging underneath, and there's a tool shed out the side of the chili field, and it had dug all the way, tunneled all the way under the tool shed to come up in the chili field. So we got a groundhog right away. We trapped and I still had damage. So Terry put trap back right on the tunnel and came back out and had the biggest groundhog I've ever seen. He could even like move around in the trap. He was mad, he was so mad, he rolled the trap over four times and took a whole bunch of plants while he was doing it. But we haven't had trouble in the chili field since then.
0: But through all the trials and tribulations, Susan managed to rescue a single Carolina reaper chili pepper and she saved it for me. I told her about our experience in July with the reaper that had no heat to it and I asked her about the conditions that could affect the heat level of chili peppers.
3: In general when it's drier you get a lot more capsaicin in the plants and some growers even stress their plants they deliberately let them go to the point of wilting and then water them to try and increase the amount of spiciness that's in the pepper. And you know, this is Indiana. I don't have to do that. There's always a drought at some point. (laughs) So sometimes even like your jalapenos will be really hot. So
0: that's why it's hard to know or to control or to be able to predict completely what your peppers are gonna taste like.
3: Mm -hmm. But that's also kind of the fun of them too. (laughs)
0: Susan also grows some of the heatless habanero varieties. Yeah, so
3: they look hot, but they're not. I did have a prankster at market one time. as was a little kid, and um, I saw her do it, and she switched my signs um, at market.
0: So what do you mean? She, she saw that you had hot habaneros and sweet habaneros? Yeah. Wow, just as a prank.
3: Yeah, well, I assume so.
0: Susan assures me there are ways to tell the difference.
3: The super hot ones tend to have that warty skin, so they look really evil. And reapers have that little tail on them.
0: Oh, that's how you can tell. I left the chili woman's farm with my solitary, devil-tailed Carolina reaper. It was time to meet up with Chris again to give this Carolina Reaper tasting another try. Remember, Chris Burris has a history with hot sauce and hot
4: peppers.
1: I talked about when I, when I was doing the PK how my mom's grandfather used to make piquet, but on my dad's side, uh, his dad was a, a huge gardener, and he used to grow hot peppers to show at the county and the state fair, but he didn't like to eat them, he just liked to grow them. But he had this thing called the Red Badge of Courage Club, which is, he also had a hobby where he used to make badges and pins and things. And so he would make these Red Badge of Courage pins and then give all of his habaneros to his friends. And the idea was is that if you could eat a whole habanero, you would get a Red Badge of Courage and you'd be in the Red Badge of Courage club. It was just an excuse to be able to make these badges and kind of get, get rid of these peppers. But it was definitely my first memory of having a, a, like a super hot pepper.
0: So you did it?
1: Yeah, I did it. I was probably like eight or nine years old. And I, I was, at that point, I was already like a Tabasco sauce poster child. But I hadn't really, you know, gone in on the peppers, which is, all, it is a whole nother level. You will never get the true experience of heat until you just eat a hot pepper raw. That's what the Red Badger Courage Club is all about, too.
0: <laughs> but Chris has never tried a Carolina Reaper, understood to be the hottest pepper currently available. Today's the day. Like before, we built up towards the super hot by tasting some sweet habaneros, which have the habanero flavor, but no heat. And then we tried one of my traditional habaneros from the garden, a ripe one this time. I might have taken too big of a bite of that one. Okay,
1: I'm going up.
0: <laughs> you seem totally fine. I'm dying over
1: here. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, it's it's spicy. You have to be totally relaxed when you do this because if you accidentally have a little hiccup or you swallow oddly, I mean, you're just going to regret it. I mean, you can hear the difference in my voice.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of dying
3: over here.
1: Yeah, like you took your you took your glasses, <laughs> glasses off. I've already got the hiccups. Boy, if this is how it's going to be I'm with crying. the habanero, we're going to be in trouble. I'm crying.
0: <laughs> I have tears running down my face. After I calmed down and cleared my palate, It was time to finally sample the star of the show, a ripened Carolina Reaper. Slicing into it, I noticed the beautiful coloring. It's gorgeous.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that smells hot. It smells like a ghost pepper to me.
0: I'm so scared right now. I decided to start with a cautious bite from the tip of the pepper, which doesn't have as much heat. I felt a slight numbing sensation, and then we moved into the full body of the pepper. Mm, there's a sweetness on the edge. There it edge. is,
1: wow, what a flavor, wow.
0: Oh, that's so strange. I, I'm still getting that numbing and it's almost more complete, like it's it's numbing my whole tongue. It tastes, um... I mean... Oh, <clears throat> as it's reaching other parts of my...
1: <laughs> okay, that's that's spicy. I don't think we got the full effect. No. Because that is not as... Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's coming on slow. I mean, every place that it has touched in my mouth is... It's burning in a way that it wasn't even for the... I didn't... Oh.
1: (laughs) You know, it's a different heat than the habanero to me. It's like... It's very different for yeah, me. It's still, but it's
0: also the way I'm ingesting it. Because the other one, I just kind of started chewing on it. and It was in the back of my throat uh, immediately.
1: Man. It's getting worse.
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man.
1: It's like, it's white hot for me right now. Like, that is the image in my mind. It's, it's rough. Oh, man. White hot. It's, it's like giving me butterflies, like a little bit wow
0: I don't think I was bold enough so I probably need to take a little more the places like I said where it has touched are numb wow so now I'm, you I'm, have streams streams of I'm, tears I'm, coming I've got down.
1: tears coming down my face yeah I've definitely got stomach cramps going on now so really yeah but it it's unlike any pepper I've ever had I'm not exaggerating
0: okay I went for it oh <laughs>
1: It's like as you try to breathe you can it's like flame coming in and out of your mouth
0: it's like the back of my jaw too is just like you know how when you have like a sourdough or something yeah okay yeah that was uh full on it Habanera. really does it puts you in the moment there's no place else to go
1: yeah like all your senses are completely engaged with this pepper All of them, because you know, you. For me, I you know, I was streaming tears, running nose. It's like it's yeah, the heat. I mean, it's you're exactly right. You're just completely focused on it. It's like your body goes to into full alarm mode.
0: You can't think about other things. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and I do actually feel like very relaxed.
0: I'm starting to feel a little bit of the euphoria that comes with pepper eating.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I mean, it's
0: it's not. It's it's coupled with the pain. that's still present. Yeah. But there is that kind of wave of like, Yeah, like a relief
1: of some kind that makes you feel pretty good.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I am so glad we finally got to have our Carolina Reaper experience. This
1: is the real deal, for sure. <laughs> this is great. As a person who talks about peppers a lot, I feel very legitimate now as like a, a heat seeker. <laughs>
0: that concludes our pepper-tasting adventure and this episode of Earth Eats. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next
2: week. The EarthEats team includes Ayobon Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Josephine McRobbie, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed.
0: Special thanks this week to Christopher Burris, Susan Wellsand, and Aaron
2: McKenney. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Additional music on the show comes to us from the artists at Universal Productions Music. EarthEats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey.